All right, good morning, church. So good to see you all. We're going to study God's word together. So week one was basically worship. Week two was basically nurture. And guess what week three is? Mission. Yeah, worship, nurture, mission. So two main ideas, and then I'll have some wrap-up comments as we move through. Number one, we want the message of Jesus to transform our city. Talking about mission, and the mission begins right where we are, right? We live out the mission right where we are. New Testament teaching about the nature of the church has often been, in church history, summarized with four marks of the church. One, the church is one, the church is holy, the church is universal, and the church is apostolic. So last week, we talked about the oneness of the church, the unity of the church, and we talked about the holiness and sanctification of the church, and we're pivoting here this morning toward mission, so we're thinking about those other two marks of universality of the church and then the apostolicity of the church. So what does it mean to say the church is apostolic? This isn't in your notes because I filled it in yesterday afternoon, all right? So you don't have as many things to fill in, but what does it mean to say that the church is apostolic? Well, Ephesians 2 says that the church is Paul writes, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So what does it mean to say the church is apostolic? It means the church's one foundation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We stand there or we fall. That is the only foundation that can hold us up, right? After uh, Peter confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, Upon this rock, right? That's the confession that's going to stand the church up even when the gates of hell are mounted against it. Uh, He said, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that's what it means to be an apostolic community. It means we recognize the apostles, the 12 apostles, were eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus. They walked with him. They saw him heal, they saw him minister, they heard him teach, they watched him die, they saw him rise and touched his resurrected uh, physical body after that happened, right? So they were designated spokespersons, they were eyewitnesses, they, they had received Christ's teaching and they would in turn give the word of Christ to the world. So here's what Jesus says to his apostles before he went to the cross in John 16, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. So when that verse was fulfilled, guess what the church got? And the answer is, the church got the New Testament. (laughs) The Spirit guided the apostles into the truth, and we got Romans. And we got the Gospel of John and the Gospel of Matthew and so forth, right? That's why the Apostle John's first letter, he begins it this way. He writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
So they heard Jesus teach and then they proclaimed it to the church. And what's our job now? Having been downstream of the apostolic proclamation of the gospel, our job is to safeguard that witness. The, the message that was once for all delivered to the saints, they grasped it, they handed it to us, and we grasp it with both hands. Every Sunday in our practice as a church, we are seeking to safeguard the apostolicity of the church. So when we say the church is apostolic, we, we mean that the gospel is the message we believe, and we also mean this. The gospel is a message we proclaim. <coughs> it's a message we proclaim. Apostle Paul, in Romans chapter one, said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. So this proclamation, it's a message about Jesus, and it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So that's why we're saying at this first point that we want the message of Jesus to transform the city. So Jesus said in Acts chapter one, we studied this uh, in the fall of last year, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, right? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So the Father, through the Spirit, is going to show the world the glory of his Son and his star witness is the church. So here's an entailment of it that's in your notes. We're finally getting to your notes. We share the gospel in the normal rhythms of life. So here's Peter. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see that proclamation piece? So that. You've been saved so that. And what's on the other side of the so that? So that you might proclaim. You have a message to share. The community of God's people is a missional Community. I wish we could look more in depth at First Peter uh, this morning, but Peter basically applies his mission strategy in three contexts. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the society, you can see that in chapter two, verse thirteen through seventeen. Later on, in the workplace, eighteen to twenty-five, and in the home, chapter three, verse one through seven. So don't miss that. Gospel advance occurs in three contexts: in the neighborhood in the workplace, and in the home, not in the meetings of the church. Gospel advance happens out there. Ordinary life context, Peter says, don't just speak the gospel, adorn it by the way you live. <clears throat> Here's a quote. If somebody's got some water, that would be awesome. <laughs> Excuse me. Be the body of Christ to me right now. Uh, lift me up in prayer. All right. <clears throat> I think I'm getting better. Here we go. So here's a quote from a great book called Everyday Church. It's not simply that ordinary Christians live good lives that enable them to invite friends to evangelistic events. You are the man. <laughs> Can we praise God for this, brother? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get through this. <laughs> Pause. Return to quote. Okay. It's not simply that ordinary Christians live good lives that enable them to invite friends to evangelistic events. Our lives are the evangelistic events. Our life together is 
the apologetic. So we share the gospel in the normal rhythms of life. The next point is here. We partner with ministries and churches to show Christ's love to our city. One of the things I love, and I'm not sure that you pick up on this every single Sunday, but I hope you do, is in the normal rhythms of our church, uh, when we have a prayer of intercession time after musical worship, we pray in concentric circles. We pray um, for things that are going on right here in our faith family, and then moving out, we pray for another church in our city. We'll often name the senior pastor of the church and just pray for God's grace and power in that church. And then we'll move to the outer band of just our work in the world that we get to be a part of as we partner in mission to the ends of the earth. But I love that second part of the circle because it's just a way of us realizing together again and again, Sunday after Sunday, we're not competing against other churches in the city of Birmingham. We, Brook Hills is not all that. Right, we're, we're not God's answer to the city of Birmingham. We, we, need, we need Redeemer, we, we need Philadelphia Baptist, we need Oak Mountain Presbyterian, we, we need to lock arms with these churches. The kingdom gets better when we're all working together on the same team, Team Jesus, advancing the gospel around our cities. We're not, you know, we're not racing, this isn't you know, racing the Soviets to the moon. Uh, uh, so we're, there's not this kind of competition of who can get biggest, fastest. Literally, who cares, right? The, the goal is, uh, Holy Spirit, come and move on your church in this city. And when you come and move on your church in this city, please do not pass us by. Come to Brook Hills as well. And if, it want, if you want to start at some church down the road, praise God. But please swing by 3145 as well. Move among us, right? So... I love when we just get to pray for other churches by name so that we can all realize we need these churches. Uh, these are our, our people. These are our brothers and sisters pulling in the same direction. When they succeed, uh, the kingdom succeeds, and we praise God for it. So we want the message of Jesus to transform our city. Second, we want the message of Jesus to reach the world. So the message is for the nations. We, and we don't just want individual decisions uh, for people to follow Jesus. We want to see churches planted around the world, particularly in parts of the world where the gospel is not known or is not widely heard. So why church planting? Why not just evangelistic efforts? Why church planting? Well, because where the word is taught, disciples are formed, right? Disciples are formed and elders are raised up. That's what you see in the book of Acts as they go through and they evangelize and they come back through and they establish churches. They raise up elders. Needs are met in the community in such a way that people start asking, tell us about the hope that you have. Explain that to us. And Peter said, always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is in you. So we want to both encourage the global church as well as plant churches where the gospel has not yet taken root. Both of those are really important work, right? So the reason that we prioritize work among least reached places, which just means places where it's hard for you if you grow up in that part of the world to hear the gospel on a regular basis. You might not encounter a person who is a believer, right? So the reason we feature and emphasize least reached places in the world is because of places like Romans chapter 15, where the apostle Paul writes these words. My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I will not build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. 
We confess it every week on our way out of the door. Go therefore and make disciples of how many nations? All nations. Until all nations have heard, the work isn't over. There's more work to do as we press the gospel into all these places around the world. So how do we do that? Uh, And there again, just remember that when we're talking about least reached places in the world, we're talking about countries where, in some cases, the number of known believers in the entire country is smaller than the number of people in this room. And there would be millions of people in that country, and yet the number of known believers is smaller than the number gathered here this morning. That's urgent. That's pressing spiritual need. So how do we... How do we reach in that direction? A couple of things that won't be surprising to you if you've been at Brook Hills for a while. We pray earnestly and give generously. So almost every Sunday we're praying for some aspect of global advance around the world. We have prayer times out here in the community room, various ways where you can hear updates from people who have served on the field or are serving, but they're stateside so that there's more prayer going on. We're just encouraging prayer, prayer in your small groups, uh, right? You've got prayer cards that you get every time we commission somebody out. We say, put this on your fridge, remember this name, make this a household name, lift them up, turn the back, and you know what to pray for, right? So that's just, we're trying to build a culture where we say, pray, Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers to all these places. So we pray earnestly and we give generously. So a huge part of our, uh, even our normal budget, a big percentage of our normal budget just goes to gospel work. Gospel work in the city, gospel work around the world. And then in addition to that, we have a global offering that you can give to any week of the year leading up to the month of December. And then in the month of December, we feature every week, we're telling you stories of what God is doing through uh, members of our faith family around the world. And, and just the generosity of the Church of Brook Hills is absolutely staggering. It just, it just shows us year after year, this is in your hearts. You don't need cajoling. This is in your hearts to see the kingdom of God expanded through the proclamation of the gospel. It's, it's an awesome thing to see. Praise God for it. We pray earnestly, we give generously, and we go. So pray, give, go, all right? No surprise there. We, we go with the gospel, uh, when, we, when our family moved to Birmingham, um, our kids were 13, 10, and 7. And they lived their whole lives in one setting, uh, in New Orleans. All their best friends were at our church in New Orleans, and we didn't know a soul at Brook Hills. Um, and so... Uh, Steve and Paula Smith, we had heard about because they had been a part of our church in New Orleans, but we didn't get to know them until we moved here. So we knew it was going to be a tough sell for our kids to move to a new place. And um, so what we were doing night after night as we were praying about this as a family is we were trying to talk about the upside, right? So, So kids, God has been so good to us here at our church in New Orleans, and we've learned so much about him, and you've got so many friends, mom and dad have so many friends, and um we're just really thankful for what we've experienced here at our church in New Orleans. Um, but different churches have different strengths. And sometimes that's just only attributable to the hand and grace of God in one church and in another church. And we just want to tell you about something that's pretty exciting about the Church of Brook Hills. Is this is a church where they've got a big wide heart for the big wide world. And uh, it would be so cool to get there and find out 
that there are places we've never even heard of. There are people groups we've never even heard about that we're gonna start learning who they are and how to pray for them. We might even be able to chance to, to go to some of these places and see what God is doing and meet believers and brothers and sisters in the faith around the world. And so we're telling him some of these things and I think it was kind of just you know going over their heads and all this stuff. And then we get here and we have our very first Wednesday and so we all split up and go to our different small groups, age-graded small groups. And then, you know, we picked up, loaded up in the van, went home and uh, said, okay, we've got to go to bed, school tomorrow. But uh, before we go to bed, can we just kind of debrief? What happened tonight in all your different places? And Ellie, who was seven, she goes and grabs our little whiteboard and, um, and she grabs a marker and she writes three letters, H-U-I. And we're like, hooey? And she's like, it's pronounced Hui. Uh, so, <laughs> so all right, she had one over on us, right? We didn't, we didn't even know how to say it yet. She's teaching us how, how to pronounce this people group. And she proceeds to tell us that there are just millions of these people and they're, they're Muslim and they live in East Asia and they don't know the gospel. And tonight she said we were on a FaceTime phone call with, with workers that we sent out who serve in that part of the world. And no sooner did she say that than me and Paula said, we told you, like, we didn't know it was going to be the very first night, but we told you we were going to learn about things God is doing in the big wide world. And it was night one, Ellie, you just told us how to pronounce way, right? And now, now we're praying for people we didn't even know about. Well, you fast forward and, and it's time for Hunter, our oldest, uh, it's time for his senior trip. And the furthest that they were enabled to go out at that particular time in our church's life was to go uh, to a trip to East Asia. And I went on that trip with Hunter, our senior, and Will was on the trip as well. And we got there, and there's one of these moments where it was sort of like, you know, the, the come full circle conversation. And we're, we're laying down, we're in the home of a, a Huey person. And, and I looked across and I said, Hunter, you remember that very first Wednesday night? When Ellie, we were saying hooey and Ellie said hooey. And here we are, sharing the hope that we have on the other side of the world, meeting people who, have, who follow Jesus over here. Isn't it awesome that we get to be a part of a church that loves the nations? So thankful for this grace on our lives. So we go with the gospel. Next point, our aim as a church is captured by the image of a tree where the roots of faith run deep and the reach of the gospel extends to the least reached and most vulnerable. I started sharing this kind of word picture um, with you several years back, roots and reach was, is the idea. And I, I like that picture, I'm drawn to that picture because um, um, there's something about a tree that has a big wide canopy, right? It's beautiful to look at, but what you can't see is is the root system. And what we want, every church has a kind of root system and a canopy. And what we would love to have, we, want, we don't want to be a lopsided church. We, want to have, we don't want to have this massive canopy that offers shade across the entire world, but our roots are, are dry and our marriages are falling apart and we're losing our grip on the gospel and we don't love one another through hardship and hard times, right? So our roots are really shallow, but hey, look at all that we're doing up top that's visible to the eye. On the other hand, you can have the other problem where the roots go super deep and we speak basically to each other in Greek and Hebrew. So we've got, we're so deep in the faith and so deep in theology, but we offer no shade to the world. 
And so the idea of Roots and Reach was, what if, by the grace of God, we prayed and aspired to have a canopy that reaches about as wide as our roots run deep? If we were strong in faith, growing in Christ, loving one another, deep, rich friendships and community, uh, walking with one another in the good, the bad, and the hard, but also making a difference. Not living life for ourselves, not insular, not just facing one another, but making an impact on the world around us. That's, that's the idea. I want to read you a verse from Psalms. Psalm 67, verse 1 and 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. And that psalm is legendary at the Church of Brook Hills. <laughs> that psalm has been like a surgical tool in the hands of God's spirit to make us different. And it's a, it's a testimony to his grace. We've not been the same since. We saw that passage and among others and it tweaked us, right? That psalm explains the way we pray, the way we give, the way we go. It explains the way we send. It's no wonder the apostle said, I pray that you'd be rooted and grounded in love and that you would comprehend the height and width and breadth of God's love for you because that's going someplace. If you're rooted in this gospel, it's gonna have an effect on the canopy. It's gonna have effect on what's going on above ground. Grace truly tasted becomes irrepressible. Psalm 67 is the prayer of a church that's not content with the status quo. And verse seven, so the last verse of Psalm 67, it's, it's like the equivalent to me, in my mind, it's the equivalent of a church that steps to the plate and points at the upper deck before it gets to swing the bat. Because here's what verse seven says. God will bless us and all the ends of the earth will fear him. It's gonna go down this way. He's gonna bless his people as we gather in his name. He's gonna deepen our roots and then he's gonna shine to the ends of the earth. That's how this is gonna shake out. And we know it happens that way because we have a peek into the future in the book of Revelation. After this, I looked and there was a vast, <laughs> a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. So why spend three weeks talking about church membership? I'm about partnering together in worship and nurture and mission. Because think about it, I think we all know this. Mutual commitment, deep, solid, mutual commitment is more meaningful than passing interest. Membership matters. Some of the things the New Testament calls us to as a local church have fallen by the wayside because they're unpopular and intensely inconvenient. Uncomfortable, maybe. But we're not aspiring to be a community of Christians who do what's most convenient. If 
we are, we should shut the doors because that's not New Testament faith. There's something about being all in. That's why we named it this. There's something about being all in and committed to it and that calls to the deepest places in your soul. God has wired you for this. You were made for worship. You were made for his purpose. You were made for mission. That truth, when it sits in your heart and is wired up by the Holy Spirit, it keeps you and me from wasting our lives. It keeps you and me from maintaining a veer of religious observance that has no real power in it. It makes the church come alive and this is one reason we have something like a church covenant. In light of the things that we've looked at these past few weeks, a church covenant is our effort, imperfect to be sure, but it's our best effort to look at the New Testament and say, do you wanna do this? I wanna do this. Do you wanna do this? Can we do this together? Can we promise each other we're gonna do this and not some other thing, but these biblical things together? So watch this video with me. As members of the Church of Brook Hills, we affirm this covenant with one another by God's grace, for our good, and ultimately for, for God's, God's glory. glory. Having been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to surrender our lives to Him and having been baptized as Christians in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we, we covenant come. together to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. Together we will draw near to God and worship. We will delight in the glory of God. Depend on the presence of God. Grow in the knowledge of God. And submit to the Word of God as the all-sufficient authority in our lives and in His church. Together we will hold fast to the hope we profess. We will regularly participate in communion as we solemnly and joyfully remember the past work of Christ on the cross. Celebrate the present work of Christ at the Father's right hand and anticipate the future work of Christ in His return for His bride. Together, we will spur one another on to love and good deeds. We will meet with one another consistently, pray for one another regularly, and serve one another selflessly. We will share each other's joys and bear each other's burdens. We will edify one another with our speech and encourage one another with, with our, our example. We will humbly and gently confront one another and receive correction from one another in accordance with a New Testament understanding of church discipline and restoration. We will give cheerfully and generously to the support of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will submit to the leadership of elders who have been entrusted by God to serve and care for this body by teaching the word of Christ to us and modeling the character of Christ before us. And we will affirm deacons as leading servants in the church. If we move from this local body, we will as soon as possible unite with another local church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's Word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen. Sobrook Hills, three words. Believe. Church membership is really important, but what's most important is that you believe. Believe that Christ has died to cover your sins, to absorb the wrath of God against your sin and my sin against God. Believe he has died, believe he has risen to give you new life and to give you new hope. 
believe Christ will come again to renew all things and to bring us into the presence of God forever? Believe, that's the most important thing. If you, if you become jaded about the church, um, I get it. We could probably go story for story. I, I get it, um, and I'm sorry. But don't ever let the failures of the church make you run from the one person in history who has never failed you and will never fail you. Believe. Two, belong. And here I just want to read for a couple of moments from a great book by Kevin DeYoung and Ted Kluck called Why We Love the Church. There's a section at the end, Why I Love My Church. And I won't be able to read it all, but I'll read you a couple of sections. Propositions. I'm glad I know explicitly what our church believes and affirms. These propositions manifest themselves not only as a statement of faith on a page or a curriculum in a new member's class, but in the lives of our congregants. I can look around the room and see an implicit understanding of God's sovereignty at work in the lives of people I worship with, and that is a profound encouragement. Our small group. Looking around the room, I can see Anthony and his wife, Adrian, who is from Hungary. Because Anthony is an artist and thinks on a different wavelength than I do, I only understand about a third of what he's saying at a given moment, which doesn't matter because we still really like each other. Nathan, the bearded mathematician, always sits behind us. Nathan builds kites, cooks French cuisine, and has a sauna at his house. Read, we have nothing in common, which I have visited and had great conversations in several times. I'm confident that we would know nothing of each other were it not for this small group, and by extension, our church's small group ministry. I love our lack of happy endings. As I look around the room this morning, I see a great man with Lou Gehrig's disease holding hands with his sweet wife. I see another couple, the husband, just diagnosed with cancer. As evangelicals, we become addicted to happy ending stories where we go through X hard thing and then start praying and then shazam, God makes everything better and we have a nice utopian story to tell where we are the hero who ends up with the great job, the great family, the time off, the free plane ticket, the lost purse, the great healthy kids. The fact of the matter is sometimes, often, the happy ending is heaven. And the getting there is the really difficult but formative part of our sanctification. And then he goes on at the end to write a letter to his son. To my son regarding my hopes and dreams for him as they pertain to the church. Dear Tristan, by the time you read this, it might be hip to like church again. Right now it isn't. But luckily for us, you're five. And for you, church is just another place with good toys, friends, and lots of space to run. You love church now, and you love it for many of the same reasons we love it. You get to see your friends there every week, and you know they're going to be there because they're parents, and we have committed to being there. You get goldfish crackers and juice there while we get donuts and bad coffee, but the idea is the same. (laughs) Friendships and relationships. You're getting to know people whom you will hopefully know for a long time because you share a bond in Christ. I want to tell you the church is more than the soap opera your mom and I make it sometimes. Doing life with people isn't always pretty. People don't always agree, and sometimes those disagreements can be unpleasant. You're not going to like everybody in your church, but my prayer for you and for us is that our shared commitment to Christ will overcome this too, 
and will grow in love and respect for everyone in our congregation. Church isn't a magic pill that you take that punches your ticket for heaven, nor is it a glorified social country club you attend to be around people who talk, think, look, act like you do. It's a place to go each week to hear the word of God spoken, taught, and affirmed. It's a place to sing praises to our God, even if those songs do sometimes feel a bit awkward. It's a place to serve others. It's a place to be challenged. Sometimes you'll be uncomfortable with those challenges because sometimes your life will need to change. That's been the case with me. I hope you'll always know that the Christian life isn't about what you can do for God, but rather what God did for you on the cross. If this message isn't central in your church, you may need to find a new one. But for now, enjoy your toys. Enjoy your Sunday school classes, and I'll try to do something with the piles of paper you bring home from them each week. Enjoy your friends and enjoy the knowledge you're acquiring about the Christ that you asked to live in your heart who revealed himself through scripture and about whom we can know things. It's only through Christ that I can do even an adequate job as your father, love always, dad. Believe, belong, and be all in. Be all in. So if you are already a member of the church at Brook Hills, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for valuing these things around which the church has gathered. Thank you for being all in. If, if you've taken this for credit, so if you've registered and you've taken this for credit on your way toward membership, how many of you registered? Hands nice and high if you've registered. Okay, so now you have completed a big part of the requirements for membership. So, yes. <laughs> yes. Congrat we're so proud of you. Congratulations, right? So, yeah, that was fun. Uh, so you've got, you've got like two things left to finish the swing of becoming a member. Uh, so here's the thing, don't get senioritis. Right, uh, you will not walk uh, if you don't follow through and do your homework. There's a, I mean, it's just literally just a couple of things left before you finish the swing. Uh, seriously, thank you, uh, all of you here, members and, and those who are interested in becoming members. Thank you for leaning in for this conversation these last, I know that the Sundays have been different. They've not really been sermons from a single text. It, it's different than our normal flow, but thanks for leaning in to something a little bit different. Um, you are an amazing church. I have to pinch myself that I get to pastor here. I'm so, so grateful.